Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Husky Fan Podcast. This is going to be a different show because uh, Jimmy is not here right now. I think he's probably taking a nap or getting his beauty rest. Uh, you guys know the deal. Uh, but with me today, I have Brett Ciancia. If you don't know the name, you probably know his Twitter handle. It's Pick 6 Previews. This man has been the most accurate forecaster of college football as far as all these preseason magazines going back the last nine years. That's right. He he beat Phil Steele. Uh, Brett, it's uh, great to have you on. Thanks for coming on. Uh, how are you doing this evening? Yeah, thanks for having me, Chest. Appreciate it. Um, it's my first Washington show this cycle. Um, you know, so for the for the listeners out there that are unfamiliar, I you know I do the preseason book every year, and it's a one man show over here. So once the confetti falls on the national title stage in January, I hunker down for seven months writing this thing. I'm calling head coaches, calling coordinators, calling beat writers, and listening into local shows like this one, and uh, and compiling this thing. So it's all 65 Power Five teams. Uh, across divisions, across conferences, I'm comparing all these teams. So, um, yeah, tenth annual edition. It's hard to believe, but uh, I'm excited to break it down with you. Yeah, you're definitely listening to local shows, but I would say probably not this one. At least not yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I try and make the rounds on the podcast tour. I know uh, we spoke offline, but uh, the uh, the season is over. Podcast, the T I S T S I O. I used to tune into that one. That was always uh, fun and informative and entertaining, all combined into one. Um, it's been a while since they've been active, but, but yeah, so I try and, uh, really dig in. And, um, like I said, calling coaches and coordinators is, is always in, informative, um, watching game tape, running my numbers. I try and strike a balance between the, the numbers of the game, but then also the schemes and the X's and O's and the film. So, um, that's hopefully what pops out on the pages. Yeah. Um, I have so many questions for you, but I guess the first one, which is not serious, so you have you been on uh, local Husky stations in recent years? Like, have you done an interview with Softy or Seven Ten or? Uh, I haven't been on uh, the radio out in Seattle. I have done uh, with I think it's Mike Martin at Howlin Husky, the uh, Sports Illustrated affiliate out there. Um, I believe that's what it's called nowadays. Uh, I did a show with him. He does excellent work, and uh, you know he's all over the place interviewing people. Um, so that was great there. Um, a uh, dog thoughts, I, I believe, is another one I've been on last cycle. Uh, I'm on every single Friday in the fall. I'm on um, NBC Sports Northwest. It's uh, uh, it's with Rip City, which I, I guess is Portland, but they simulcast on their TV channel. So I'm not sure if that stretches out to Seattle, but that's definitely the Portland region. But but no, it's uh, it's it's a great fan base. I, I it's been a pleasure connecting with so many of you on Twitter. Um, you know, you can tell it's a knowledgeable base, at least the ones that are active on Twitter. Um, you know, great to, great to meet. I was out in Seattle too, in, uh, 2019 for a game, my first time out to the city and, uh, and the campus was beautiful. And, um, you know, it was the game against Utah. So I don't want to bring up bad memories for Washington. It was, uh, the Huskies were leading for most of it. And then a pick six really changed the game by Utah. And, um, and the Utes took off from there, but, but yeah, so, um, yeah, a, a lot of great media outlets, uh, to choose from out of Seattle and, and, the, and the Huskies. So, um, there's a lot to like. Okay, so let's get to your overview. First of all, people should buy your preview. I think it's only 18 bucks. so people out there, you know, unless you only have uh, like $19 in your bank account, then uh, don't say you can't afford this. First off, tell everybody where they can go to buy this thing. Yeah, thanks so much. Appreciate it. So uh, it's pick6previews.com and at pick6previews on Twitter. 
on the site there, I have a couple sample pages that you can see the, the level of detail I go into for every team, the set of infographics for every team and stats and trends and everything. So, uh, and yeah, like I said, it's my 10th annual edition. Those first nine years, I've uh, been graded the most accurate in the country when it comes to power five predictions. And that's what my book is centered on is the, the five power five leagues. So yeah, I, I, uh, I'm really excited to, to get this 10th one out. One other thing that's different about mine is that it's digital. Uh, it's a PDF download compared to the ones you see on newsstands. Um, and those, you know, this year has been especially an advantage for me because those had to go to press in April and then on the newsstands in May. And as you guys know, the transfer portal went crazy after spring ball. Um, so I, I hunkered down and got mine published mid-July. So it's as current as possible uh, with different unit grades and, and, uh, and all that stuff factored in. So uh, it actually, actually became an, an advantage this year. Yeah, I want to get back to that. that. That's a great point. But the first thing is, how are you different from the average preseason magazine? I mean, maybe I'm not giving them enough credit, but it seems like most of these preseason predictions, it's like, okay, what was the team's record last year? How many returning starters do they have? And then they pretty much adjust their, or they make their predictions and adjust the teams that way. Like if a, a great team suddenly, you know, they're losing a ton of players, they get moved down. If you had a team that was second or third in the league and they return everybody, people will pick them first. I mean, what what do you do that's like different or unique? Yeah, that's a great point. That's really what drove me to get into this space about 10 years ago when I launched in 2012 is, and I, I know I have respect for some of the other magazines out there. Don't get me wrong, but I think uh, just either, whether it be their page limit constraints or what, but a lot of times they don't dig in too deep. Um, you know, like you said, it's just, uh, returning starters, uh, everyone's heights and weights and, um, you know, pretty much just rollover from last year, what it was, but, uh, I tried to go a whole different approach. I'm looking for every single angle possible. Now that's watching game tapes from last year, rewatching them, uh, reading every AP game story, uh, you know, for post game uh, recap, uh, watching every spring game I can get my hands on, uh, calling coaches, calling coordinators and calling beat writers just to get up to date, you know, info, uh, spring practice reports. Um, but then, so that's all like the X's and O's and on the field stuff. But on the side here, on the left side of my page, I have all my analytics. Um, I have a game grader formula, as I've called it, which digs in deeper than just the box score. Um, because you could look at a team's record. Oh, they were 10 and 2 last year. That doesn't tell you anything. That doesn't tell you the opponent level, uh, the, the opponent's strength, how decisively they were beating those teams. Were, the, were those wins fluky? Um, you know, were they outgaining teams by 300 yards a game? Or were they just benefiting from turnovers? So, all these extra variables go a lot deeper. And, you know, I devised a formula and other coordinator grades and percentiles. So what I basically what I've tried to do here is create a great balance between my numbers and then the actual X's and O's and schemes and what you see on the field and, and trying to you know have them uh, complement each other in the book. So um, that's pretty much the, the that, that's what differentiates me. Uh, the accuracy title is nice, but really it's the writing. I try and put it back into a readable form. I know that in other magazines it gets pretty repetitive. It's almost like a template for each team. You just you read about the returning starters at each group, and that's it. Um, for mine, I mean, I dig into program history, recruiting trends, the regionality of the recruiting. Um, then, obviously, the, the X's and O's and schemes are trying to run. So I just try and give it a unique story for all 65 of these teams. Yeah, that's great. So – let me and, and you know one more big picture question. I think what's really really hard to do is to forecast, um, which you know who are going to be the like breakout players, like who are going to be the players that 
really come out of nowhere and turn out to be stars. I mean, it, it happens a lot where you have a guy who maybe he doesn't play much, he doesn't have that many stats, and suddenly he's like an all-conference player the next year. Like ZTF for the Huskies being one example. Like how um, – I, I mean, it, is there any way like you can get a leg up on people in assessing that? I mean, do do coaches give you information? I mean, do you – how do you – I mean, I know it's really – it's re- even re- really hard for the coaches – or someone who would have inside information, it, it's it's really hard for them to tell you, okay, like this guy on Stanford is going to be a huge breakout candidate. Like, how do you figure that out? Because to me, like I'm looking at the Pac-12, which we can get into, and I mean, there, to me, there's five or six teams that could realistically win it this year. And I'm looking at your rankings, I think you have all those teams in the top 25, if I'm not mistaken. So I, I don't know if I had a question. I guess that, yeah, that's the question. Like, yeah. how do you assess and predict breakout players because when I'm looking at the Pac-12 this year like that that's to me that's the team that's going to win it is who which team has the most like players that come out of nowhere and really develop that we weren't uh anticipating yeah that's an interesting question I think that um you know all that's important I think I might lean more on the coaches and coaching staff and coordinators than most other publications um like I really factor in if they if a team makes a great coordinator hire um and I like what their scheme is going to provide and I think that they have the pieces to do it um, I'll take a leap of faith on a team uh, or if a, if a program has a long track record of player development, um, which is another, that's a buzzword that you hear, but I tried to put a number on it where I compare a team's uh, five and 10 year average in recruiting to their NFL draft output. And, uh, you know, because some programs like USC, they waste their talent uh, and some like Washington, I'm not just saying that because I'm on a Washington show. You guys know the pipeline you've created on defense um, teams like Washington that might not recruit in the top 10, but produce top 10 talent. So, yeah, so many factors go into it for me. I mean, it's coaching staffs go a long way, coordinators, um, not from what they're telling me on the phones per se, but just that they've, if they have a proven track record, if their schemes work, um, and if they have personnel coming back to fit that. Uh, recruiting goes a long way. I mean, if a team is uh, consistently up there and, and, they, and they develop their players, then it's kind of a, you know, not a leap of faith, but it's kind of, a, it's kind of reliable knowing that they're going to produce star players. So, yeah, I mean, I will say out of the whole book, I mean, all the research and writing that goes into it, one of the hardest things is the preseason teams, um, you know, because there's so many new faces. It's not like the NFL or other pro sports where you know these guys and they play 10, 15 years and uh, it's very constant and static. Here you have the roster shifting like crazy. I mean, you might only see a guy for a year as a starter, uh, two years, or they're transferring schools. Um, so it's it's really a tough process, but... Um, I just try and look at proven production for players uh, the last couple of years um, or if they're, you know, how the schemes are working out, if they fit them um, or take a leap of faith on a guy that might've been a five-star recruit that fits into a scheme. So there's really no exact answer. I know that was a messy answer, but um, that the, the all conference teams in the preseason are definitely an inexact science. No, I got it. That, that was a really good point. That makes a lot of sense. But I, I guess constructive feedback, I don't think you have a, a breakout players section. Maybe you could consider, not that my opinion means anything. I'm just a guy mm-hmm. with a big mouth. But uh, <laughs> maybe you could consider adding that to uh, next year's preview. Because I mean, fans love that shit. You know, they, yeah, just, yeah. they just get, uh, they're all over that. But anyway, okay, so here's a one like rapid question for you, rapid answer. So you have Washington number 12, you have Oregon number 10 so with a healthy ztf i mean how would that put washington above oregon how do you assess that yeah it was really a shame to hear the ztf news i mean 
He earned All-American honors last year just playing four games. Uh, seven tackles for loss, seven sacks in four games. Those averages are just incredible. Um, at that pace, I mean, he'd have, he'd have been chasing all-time records. So uh, I was very excited to see him coming in in 2021 with a full 12-game slate and uh, unfortunately had that bad news. But uh, I will say uh, of any program out there or any defense out there, um, there's stars everywhere on this Washington defense. It's star, you know, star-packed. Um, you get Ryan Bowman back after missing uh, half the season last year. Uh, also, Latu is back after shining in 2019, missing 2020. So while you do lose ZTF, a couple of these former stars from 19 are coming back healthy. Well, actually, um, actually, Latu had to medically retire, unfortunately. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. Well, in that case, uh, scratch that, but I still <laughs> like Ryan Bowman um, big time. I mean, he could push for all conference honors. And then you have a next man up kind of mentality uh, with Smalls. Finally, of course, that was the biggest uh, recruiting story out west. Um, I think it was two cycles ago. Uh, yeah, with Smalls, and he uh, he held his own at times last year as a true freshman. It's so hard to jump in as a true freshman, especially without that full off season of uh, spring ball and, and summer install and everything. So uh, he was excellent in pass rush. That probably worked a little bit more on setting the edge and the run, but uh, the sky's the limit for him. So. Yeah, obviously losing ZTF hurts. It didn't sway the needle between uh, who who wins the Pac-12 North, in my opinion. Uh, the bigger issues for Washington are, uh, I'd say, in the in the passing attack on the outsides um, and just offense in general compared to the firepower that Oregon has. But it, I, I, I yeah, I mean, I, I get your answer. But I mean, if he's a, if you have if you lose an All-American pass rusher, it would seem to me. I mean, I'm not trying to pick apart your rankings, but having UW number twelve, I mean, I. I uh, would think with him, because um, you know Thibodeau from Oregon, he gets all the hype. But I mean ZTF, I think is just as good, or at least last year he was just as dominant. Yeah, I mean of course, uh, but also what I'll say is I'm pretty high on Washington when you compare against the other magazines and when you look at the coaches poll that just came out. Um, I, I think the coaches poll had Washington 21st or 20th. Um, I'll have to double check that. But when I looked at my rankings versus the coaches poll. Washington was one of the highest teams I was on when you compare them relatively. I think I was eight, eight or nine spots higher on Washington. So um, I really like what you guys have coming back. It's a proven track record on defense, even with the coordinator change, which normally would be enough to sink a team the next year. Um, I think by bringing Bob Gregory, I mean, he's been in the system with Lake and Kwiatkowski for so long. I think it's his fifth or sixth year. Um, so I don't really expect a, a quote-unquote transition year on, on defense from the coordinator spot. Um so, yeah, all, all things together, I'm, I'm pretty high on Washington. Uh, and, yeah, so like I said, obviously losing ZTF hurts. Twelfth, uh, I think, is still a nice compliment to the, the track record that they built on defense. Really, though, the sky's the limit if you can unlock an offense. And I say that in the book. I, I think that they're an, really an offense away from being a playoff contender every year. You know you have the defense uh, at playoff caliber. It's a matter of you know getting guys at the, at the skill positions, uh, especially the receiver core. Uh, really struggled with drops last year. I know it was a small sample size, but um, you want to be able to stretch the field vertically and, uh, and and win some explosive plays. That's the name of the game nowadays uh, in 2021. So that's what's kind of holding Washington out of the top 10. Yeah, I think to me, I think, I mean, I'm fairly conservative with preseason rankings, but to me, like losing ZTF and also Puka Nakua, I think, mm-hmm. I I mean, I would have taken him over any – He's he, he to me would have been the best wide receiver in the league, excluding the USC wide receivers. 
I mean, he's that dynamic. I mean, I, I like the other receivers that we have, but I mean, to me, if if ZTF was healthy and we had Puka, you know, we would be at least the favorite in the Pac-12 on paper. And John Wilner, who I don't know if you follow him, no, but he's great, yeah. I mean, yeah, as far as predictions, I would say you, John Wilner, and Phil Steele like seem to be like head above the pack. And he had UW ahead of Oregon going into the spring, and then when ZTF got hurt. Uh, he bumped Oregon back up. But anyway, I, I will mention this about ZTF because you probably don't know because you have like a thousand things to follow. But he apparently is progressing rapidly. And uh, Jimmy Lake said that he's going to play this year. And I also had some insiders who they say like they're hearing that he could play the first game. I don't even know how that would be possible or like wow. why that would make sense. I, I'm not banking on anything. I'm just passing along that info that like mm-hmm. it's it, at this point, it doesn't appear that he's like completely out for the season. Um, well, that's, it, that's huge news because when you look at Washington's schedule, obviously Michigan's the headliner in September, but in terms of Pac-12 play, the key games are after that bye week. So, I'll bet you that the opener is out of the question for ZTF, just timeline-wise, but you can get him back in October when some of these key division games come up or where uh, the UCLA game comes up, Arizona State from the cross division. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a game-changer. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it, it could be bullshit, but I'm just passing that along. Yeah, for sure. That it doesn't, you know, it, it, my guess would just be 50-50 chance he could contribute before the end of the year. But, I, but yeah, anyway, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so moving along, um, so, yeah, let's go over your rankings. So, you, you go over your – give me, like, a, a quick uh, – do you know off the top of your head where do you have UCLA? Um, I have them fourth in the Pac-12 South. Uh, it was a pretty crowded division race down there. I had four legitimate candidates with Utah, Arizona State, USC, and UCLA. Um, in terms of UCLA's national rank, I've got them 27th, so just outside the top 25. Now, I will say this was published mid-July, and I heard uh, through the grapevine that DTR, UCLA's starting quarterback, is not at training camp right now. Uh, And that was a a foundational part of my prediction, putting them 27th in the country. So, um, you know, because uh, with UCLA, the two things holding them back under the first couple years under Chip Kelly was, one, the defense, but number two was DTR. He was hot and cold. You saw incredible athleticism and great, great plays here and there. But then destructive decisions and turnovers, and um, but anyway. So long story short, last year he cleaned that up. He was held on the ball, no fumbles, no dumb sacks, um, and improved the touchdown to pick ratio. The defense made a huge gain under Brian Norwood, the new coordinator. So I was high on UCLA. We'll see now without the, the quarterback. So yeah, I mean, assuming okay, well that that's enough info. You ex- so you expect them to continue to improve, but not be as good as ASU or Utah. Yeah, for sure. I have them. I finished on them in fourth uh, in the in the Pac-12 South. Um, yeah, I really like what I have uh, or what we have from Utah and Arizona State, uh, two teams. Um, so I don't think you play Utah this year at a quick glance. But nope. so I guess I'll focus here on Arizona State. Arizona State, obviously another wild card off the field, given the ongoing NCAA investigation. Um, again, at time of publish mid July, I was really just taking a leap of faith that this team was going to stay together. Um, the only thing I, I could really look at tangibly was the uh, was the transfer portal, and there wasn't a mass exodus of guys. Uh, when the news broke, I, I thought maybe a lot of guys would transfer out of there, but they all stayed together. Now, just this week, two of their assistants were placed on leave. So if this becomes a lagging issue where coordinators are being removed or if Herm Edwards gets removed midseason, it could really collapse. But in terms of on the field, because that's what I like more, uh, 
there's a lot to like. 20, uh, 20 starters are back from their team overall. Jaden Daniels, an all-conference caliber quarterback. He's very clutch in the fourth quarter. Uh, he's led many late-game drives. It's a two-headed monster at running back. All these top 200 recruits at receiver, it's just a whole arsenal of playmakers. Um, and then a strong offensive line. And then really what elevates them to potential division, uh, division champ caliber this year is their defense with all 11 starters back from a team in 2020 that really made some gains. It's uh, Antonio Pierce. You may remember the name, a former NFLer. He's their new defensive coordinator, the former Giants linebacker. And, uh, yeah, there's really a lot to like from this team. I think they're a legitimate top 20 team. Yeah, they scare me, uh, their, their run game. I mean, they got some running backs that look like they're NFL guys. And so so tell me more about the quarterback, uh, Daniels. I haven't watched that many games with him, but I, I mean, is he really – that great of a quarterback is it the dual threat ability I mean I guess I'm like skeptical of him being like a great passer or I mean am I wrong yeah so Jaden Daniels it all started it was kind of a, an urban myth uh urban legend where in his first spring practice uh I guess that was uh two years ago now as a true freshman he didn't throw a single incompletion so that was like the that was kind of the urban legend but uh yeah as a freshman in 2019 tw- uh, 17 touchdowns just two picks he was extremely efficient with the ball as a freshman uh, of course, that season in 19, he led that win against Oregon, uh, knocked Oregon out of, I guess, playoff contention. Um, so, yeah, and, and really where it clicked, Arizona State's always in these close games at the end of the game. It's almost like an NFL team in terms of scoreboard. Um, but he led so many late-game drives. Yeah, it's I, I would call him dual threat. It's not like a true runner. It's more like uh, when the play breaks down, he's able to create, and he knows when to tuck it and run and get efficient, uh, efficient yards on the ground. Uh, so he just kind of does it all. He's, he's, he's very calm and collected beyond his years. Again, he was a young starter in 19, second-year starter in 2020. So I, I like what they have there at quarterback. Um, he, he seemed to weather the storm through a coordinator change and a scheme change last year. Arizona State, they went with, um, you know, they brought in uh, Zach Hill from Boise State and really want to go with a smash-mouth power run game uh, in the insides and then let their playmakers make plays on the outside. So, they, yeah, there's a lot to like. And from a Washington perspective, to bring it back home here, uh, they draw Arizona State right after the Oregon game. And I know rivalry-wise with Oregon and uh, the North title, and really the North title from last year, that whole controversy. So that's going to be an emotional game, and it's kind of a tough game right after a hangover game to have Arizona State come in. Yeah, a lot lot of fans uh, have pointed that out. Um, Now, as far as Utah, um, are you really high on them? I mean, it, I'm just guessing like the coaching and development factors in a lot because maybe it's just me. I feel like their roster is like a tiny bit overrated. Yeah, so it really is. Uh, it's coaching first with Utah, and uh, they're they're the number one player developing uh, program out there according to my metrics. It's been a couple cycles now where they don't recruit in the top 25 or even really near it. What they do, they bring in top 40 classes. Uh, they all buy into their their culture and their fit and all those buzzwords that. You know, usually sound like garbage, but here at Utah, it matters, and uh, and and their coaches maximize their talent, especially on defense with Morgan Scally. This is a coordinator I've talked to multiple seasons now, multiple preseasons, um, just one of the best in the business, really. And uh, you know, they go through cycles in Utah. That's the other thing. So in 2019, they were extremely veteran, had all these NFLers on their team, and they went and won the South. But all those guys graduated and went pro. 2020 was supposed to be the transition year, and um, with like nine or ten new starters on defense. But here's the kicker, that even in their transition season on defense, it wasn't a total meltdown. 
They finished number one in the conference in rush defense, uh, second in yards per play, and third in scoring. Now you get all of those guys back, all those ahead of schedule reps by freshmen last year, and a full offseason that they really, really needed last year that they didn't get. But um, So all that's back. It's all conference guys at each uh, layer of the defense. Devin Lloyd's a true All-American candidate, a linebacker. Uh, and then, of course, the thing that usually holds Utah back is their skill positions on offense, but they really hit the transfer portal hard. They brought in multi-year starters like Theo Howard, who used to play at UCLA in Oklahoma. Um, TJ Pledger got a ton of carries last year at Oklahoma. And uh, and Charlie Brewer, four-year starting quarterback from Baylor. Now, his job might not, not even be uh, guaranteed. He's got to beat Cam Rising out this fall uh, in fall camp. But either way, they're getting a, a boost at quarterback. So a lot to like from this team. I, you know, I trust their coaching staff more than any out there. Um, so I, I have Utah winning the South. Uh, Utah, they have to uh, go to USC. Uh, what about ASU? Uh, Arizona State, they host USC. Uh, they have to travel, like we said, up to Seattle. Um, so, and they travel. That 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 game is uh, at Utah, the Arizona State Utah game. So. Um, in terms of the homes away, that, that stuff kind of shakes out. What I really look for is if a team gets hit hard with, with two tough cross divisions or, or gets off the hook. And where that happens in this division is with USC and UCLA, where USC, they draw the – or I'm sorry, UCLA draws the top two from the north. They get Oregon and Washington, which I think are going to be two losses for UCLA. Meanwhile, USC avoids them both. So I'm saying USC already has a one or even a two-game advantage uh, right away over UCLA there for third place. So – uh, that kind of stuff really goes a long way, the cross-division scheduling, especially in leagues where it's unbalanced like that. So um, not so much between Utah and Arizona State. That doesn't really factor in. But for third place, that's a huge advantage for USC. Yeah, I think you have USC right. In my opinion, just you, all these preseason rankings that have USC really high, at least for this year, I just pretty much say, okay, this is probably garbage. I mean, you just, just, they're just based on talent, and then you watch the games, and they just, they don't have it. They just haven't, I mean, th- Clay Helton would have already been gone if not for Sam Darnold. If you, yeah, maybe if you, if, Sam. If, if you look back, because, you know, 2016, they had the, uh, Sam Darnold came in, you know, they beat that great Husky team. Uh, they won the Rose Bowl in that shootout. 2017, uh, they won the league, one of the worst Pac-12s of all time. I mean, I'm familiar with that. And uh, it was just Sam Darnold just making plays at the fourth quarter, and so I mean, the, what they've been a they have not been a good team. And if you look, I don't know if this like analyzing teams from last year to me. I mean, I'm not saying you're doing doing this, but it's really really difficult. I mean, USC had to me like they benefited more than any other team. Like their first their first three games. They or their first three or four games, like they had a huge advantage over everybody they played. Like against Utah, when they played Utah, Utah hadn't even played a game yet. It was three weeks into the season, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 Utah's quarterback goes down at the beginning of the mm-hmm. game or wherever, you know. And then uh, I forget who USC played after that. Then they played Washington State, who hadn't played in a month. <laughs> I mean, it was just USC had these huge, and and you look at Oregon too, and they played Stanford without. Davis Mills, and then he was really rusty, and that's why Stanford lost the second game. And they played uh, UCLA with a backup quarterback, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so with a if DTR was there, they might have lost that game. So I'm not, you know, and for Washington, you could make the case that you know we were not impressive at all in any of these games. I mean, going down twenty one by twenty one points at halftime in the last two games. 
So I don't I, just a, a rant there. But I guess the, the question <laughs> is, I mean, how much can you really take from last season? Is it more just watching players rather than like the macro results of scores and stats? Well, I'll tell you this much. Uh, it's my 10th year doing it. It's by far the hardest of all 10 years um, for so many different reasons. I mean, first off, the inconsistent amount of games that these programs had. I mean, so I'll study the Big 12, and they got most of their games in, you know, 10, 11, 12 games. And then I flip over to the Pac-12, and you see Arizona State played four games or Washington State had four games. Uh, it's just uh, apples to oranges a ton of times. And then even uh, – you know, you have to dig a lot deeper, too, because some of these weeks, certain rosters were hit with quarantines and had half the roster playing. Um, or sometimes, you know, it was a certain position group where, like, the whole secondary's out because they were all in contact. So it, it, it's just so much extra context that I had to study this year. And I didn't mind it. You know, it's, it's always fascinating to me. I'm just saying that it was not a normal year in any sense of the word. Um, and to USC's point, like you had said, they were getting some teams after uh, a month by or a month off. Um, and then, but what I did do, so I, of course you take into all the context you can, but I still look at what happened on the field. I still look at the, you know, the scoring margins, the yardage margins, the, the per play averages, everything. And, uh, when you look at USC, their record last year was very misleading. Uh, I know they went five and one undefeated regular season until the conference title game. That's great. But if you really watch some of these games, Arizona state had them beat several times in that fourth quarter in the opener. Uh, it was a miracle fourth down touchdown that USC were, was able to pull off. Um, then the next week, a really poor that eventually went winless Arizona team had USC. Yeah, Arizona could have. I'm sorry to interrupt. They Arizona could have won yeah. won that game, and, and every other game Arizona got blown out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that one. When you look back at that game, that should have been an Arizona win. Uh, Utah. Yeah, you hit on it. Their quarterback got knocked out on the first series of their first game, and uh, so of course they had to scramble with Jake Bentley right in there in the opener. Um, and then another one against UCLA, that was like a 5% win probability that they won that game. So, uh, yeah, so of course I, I don't try and rewrite the history. I mean, congrats, they won the South and then, you know, they went five and one, but from a forward looking projection kind of uh, mindset, I don't see it. So I think that was misleading the record. Um, now I will say, uh, you mentioned that Sam Darnold kind of saved his job. I'll also throw another name in there, Graham Harrell. I think that their offensive coordinator hire in 2019 really helped save them. Uh, it fixed their offense overnight in 19. It was okay last year, but, um, you know, so he did have a nice coordinator hire there. I was able to talk to Harold. Uh, of course, he's the former Texas Tech quarterback under Mike Leach, and he brought a lot of the same uh, air raid concepts out there to USC, which, as you guys know, used to be called tailback U. So that's quite a culture shock, but they're throwing the ball around the yard, and they have an excellent receiver core that go make plays. So, um, so yeah, long story short, I think that, uh, the record last year was a little bit misleading. They're still a solid team. I, I have them 21st overall in the, in the nation, but, uh, in this crowded South, that's going good for third place. Okay. Like a couple Washington questions and I'll let you go <clears throat> some skeptics. All right. I have some skepticism, uh, on, on my own team. And I've noticed this with your rankings and Phil Steele's rankings. It seems like the unit rankings specifically, if you look at the unit rankings, We'll just focus on yours, but steals are pretty similar. Washington, given where both of you guys have Washington as a whole, the unit rankings uh, would seem to underrate Washington. However, or, or is that a potential cause for concern, meaning Washington's overall rating should be lower because their unit rankings are not uh, – near the top of the league. I mean, I'm looking with yours. You have QB at six, running back at six, wide receiver tight end at six, and then uh, 
the other ones are very high. You have, uh, what is that, O-line one, first and linebackers, first and DBs, third, D-line. Uh, but So I don't know. I mean, I guess is it is it just you have so much respect for the defense? Well, yeah, I think the, the whole – the whole reason that I have Washington in 12th overall uh, and that high in the nation is the defense. I mean, that's really the proven calling card of this program the last five years. Uh, it's Jimmy Lake still. I know that he's the head coach now, but it's still he has his fingerprints all over that defense. Um, it's, it's hard to do unit rankings specifically with Washington because some of those guys are tweeners. Uh, they could be called defensive ends. It could be called linebackers, outside backers, rush edge, all these kind of terms. So sometimes the unit rankings are tough. I gave them first overall linebackers uh, and third D-line. Um, so, I mean, right, that right there is a good front seven. I gave them the number one D-back spot. That's, you know, you have proven guys there. Uh, Trent McDuffie could be the next All-American candidate. Um, you know, Asa Turner back and uh, a lot to like. They, I mean, they have one of the best track records at D-back. So that right there, that's all positive stuff. That's, that should be pretty high. And then offensive line, I had number one. Uh, I know it was a short sample size of just four games, but – the Washington offensive line only allowed one sack uh, the entire season. And even that was like a scramble out of bounds. I don't know if you can really call it that, but, you know, it, it registered as a sack. And uh, from that point on, though, they got all five starters back, including Jackson Kirkland, who's shocked by coming back. I thought he should have – well, not should have, but could have gone pro. Uh, I understand wanting to get a full senior season. So, uh, hey, Washington will take them back, right? So uh, all five guys back from that unit. That's pretty impressive. And so they got the number one overall offensive line in the Pac-12. Now, yeah, there were some middle-tier rankings at the skill positions on offense. I think that those are probably pretty fair. I mean, given the receivers first, uh, when you watch them, they, they struggled with drops a bit last year, a little bit out of sync. And, again, back to our point about context, I know it was a new coordinator, a new, uh, new coordinator, new quarterback, and no spring ball to learn anything. So, of course, so you're, 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 little... you're not you're not buying the, you're <laughs> not buying John Donovan as a fantastic hire. Yeah, the, the jury's still out. I'll say that the jury's still out. I mean, it was only four games, and I don't think that they were able to install anything. So that was almost just uh, you know you can throw that four game sample out in terms of scheme. So I think we're going to see a lot more this year. Um, I want to see more vertical shots, um, but I will say that yeah. So receivers struggle with drops a little bit, and you lost your top two. Uh, or definitely your number one with Puka Nakua going to BYU. Ty Jones also out of there going, I think, to Fresno. Uh, those were going to be returning guys. And then it was your former four-star receivers that never really clicked. It was Osborne and Spiker. Um, so with those recruiting hits weren't hitting. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit unproven there. Now, obviously, Kate Otten brings up the group big time. Uh, first overall tight end I've got him at. So uh, he'll be huge over the middle and mismatches. Uh, running back, middle, middle tier, not much to say there. It's a solid duo. Uh, and then a quarterback, yeah, it's more so it's just unproven. I mean, when you look at the people I have ranked ahead of um, Dylan Morris right now, I've got Jaden Daniels, Arizona State. I've seen him two years. Keaton Slovis, I've seen for two years. DTR at UCLA, now three years. Um, Anthony Brown, I guess, is a small sample size, obviously, but I watched him for a year and a half out of Boston College, and he he was excellent with not much around him out there. So, uh, so yeah, and then and then five at Utah, I've got Charlie Brewer and Cam Rising. So six, I feel is fair. Now, um, can Dylan Morris, uh, you know, pass sixth place? Definitely. Uh, I really want to see Sam Heward if he can push this year. I know it might be too early, but uh, talk about a guy with uh, video game stats. I know the video game reference is used a lot, but thirteen thousand yards in high school, one hundred and fifty three touchdowns. I couldn't do that in a video game. I don't know about you, but uh, just incredible. So I, it might be too early to see him, but. In general, there's a lot to like going forward. 
And, uh, yeah, so like I said, uh, the, the jury's still out for John Donovan as a coordinator. Um, I, I liked when Jimmy Lake wore that run-the-ball hat to the pre- post-game press conference that really uh, showed they're bringing the physicality back. Maybe not so much run first. It was very balanced in terms of play calling, but uh, you want to always have that physicality as a core. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I I think the QB and running back is fair, but I think wide receiver tight end, I think – I mean, I know it's hard to rate these, but I think that's going to – I think that's going to surprise – Mm-hmm. people um i think terrell bynum is going to be very solid and then romo dunze and jalen mcmillan i mean those are big time recruits uh rome really flashed at the end of the season so i mean i i i just think it's it's possible those guys could make a big leap but uh no i i, I get it. i get the ranking now another question for you you have sam taimani as second team defense the defensive lineman uh phil Steele also has him third team and to me that's a little surprising because I think Tuli Latuli Gasanoa is the better player and so I'm just wondering um I mean what was it was there some insight from coaches there or was it watching film what what did you base that on yeah so I saw a little bit more of him last year uh compared to um so so Taimani started four games he started the whole season last year uh was pretty key there at nose tackle uh you know kind of a run stuffer not so much in the stat column, but I think that he's a nice core to the defense. Um, and what Washington likes to do is they like to go in lines, kind of like in hockey, like line changes. So you'll have those two guys as your starting round, and then it's the two 2019 recruits that were, I think, the top two in your entire class um, from that from that recruiting class. So uh, to me, I just I wanted to get one of the Washington defensive tackles, uh, you know, uh, mentioned here in my second team. I only do first and second, so I wanted to get a mention there, and kind of a you know, throw a nod to the Washington defense there up front. So uh, he got it. He played more last year for now. Uh, we'll see how it shakes out. Yeah, to me, I think the, the – was there any concern from you? I mean, again, going back, the you mentioned something before with the COVID. I mean, the Stanford game, Washington barely had enough guys to play that game. It was our, the, the COVID situation. It really mm-hmm. – it started with Ryan Bowman, I think, the Utah week. He missed that game, and I don't know if he was – I'm not blaming him for the – in fact, it, I don't know who infected the offensive line, the rest of the team, but he was one of the first guys out. Uh, he missed the Utah game. But the Stanford game, yeah, missing a ton of guys, so I don't know how much you can read into that. But nevertheless, if you look at that game and the Utah game, I know that run defense was noticeably bad like across the board in college football. But to me, that going back to 2019, that has fallen off a little bit for Washington. So to me, that's actually a concern the front seven run defense. And I think our depth in the front seven is a little limited, especially at inside linebacker. So um, I don't know if, if you, if you have a comment on that, I, I guess it was a comment more than a question. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, it also hurt losing uh, Levi Wanzarike right away. He opted out. And uh, once the, when the league first announced that cancellation back in August, 2020, uh, you're talking about an all pack 12 guy right there that could have helped up front. So, of course, when you lose your leader in the middle uh, and force some younger guys into action, you might have a step back. And, um, yeah, the point of attack seemed a little bit softer than usual. Again, it's a four-game sample size. Who knows if these guys could have, uh, could have you know, gelled and grown had they had a full offseason together. So uh, just given their track record as a staff the last five, six, seven years, um, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't really view it as a concern, to be honest. And um, They're going to be – they have plenty of playmakers there in the front seven. We hit on him. I mean, Bowman's back, Smalls. I, I think he's going to take a major step forward now with the whole offseason. 
just think of how tough that would be for a true freshman without spring ball and without fall camp um, being thrown in full bore. Uh, so he held his own, like I said. So I'm, I'm excited to see him take a next step. Uh, he could even push for all-conference honors the way this thing shakes out. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, a lot to like from Washington's defense. They're very proven as a staff and a program. Um, you know, I was watching the NFL draft a couple years back, and uh, I think a, another defensive back got drafted. And uh, the NFL draft announcers, whatever you call them, uh, were joking. They're like, man, is every single Washington defensive back going to get drafted? What's what's the deal here? And I was thinking, yeah, you might you must not watch much Pac-12 because that's what they do over there. <laughs> Jimmy Lake, he's known for this. He'll, uh, you know, a lot of programs will throw out a hundred offers and just see what sticks. But Jimmy Lake, I think it's he'll uh, he'll single out one or two guys and give them an offer they can't refuse. He hones in on certain prospects and knows what he's looking for, and, and they really hit home. So. No, I mean, there's very few staffs out there I trust as much as Jimmy Lake, and um, I think they're going to be excellent on defense all around. Okay, so before I let you go, I know we've gone over time here. I appreciate that. Um, so Michigan, how does that – because I'm looking at Michigan, you know, Harbaugh, at least until the last couple of years, has really been an amazing coach in my opinion. Um, I'm looking at their recruiting – they have a talent advantage, and I'm looking where you have them ranked. I'm looking where Phil Steele has them ranked, even in terms of talent. And it's more than like 10 spots behind Washington. So um, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on Michigan in that game for the Huskies? Yeah, well, first on Harbaugh, I think you're right that what he took over was uh, a program in shambles. So, you know, you got, always got to put it in the context of what the coach inherits. Uh, and I think that, you know, his first couple of years were excellent. They were, he was a yard away from beating Ohio State in 16th. Um, they could have pushed for even a playoff bid that year. So, yeah, I mean, they've had their ups and downs. Defense started to collapse last year. They made that change, getting rid of Don Brown. Uh, of course, he was a great coordinator for years there, a very aggressive coordinator, stayed in man-to-man almost to a fault, and uh, that started to get burned on that. So so what you have with Michigan, why I'm a little bit concerned, is you have a coordinator change on defense, uh, a whole scheme change there too. And then on offense, he's moving coaches around to spots they haven't coached before. Um, like they have a guy moving over to the offensive line role all, and he's only ever coached tight ends. So, and then the, the quarterback's coach is new to the position. So uh, it's like musical chairs with the staff. It's kind of bizarre. So we'll see if that works. The last team to try and do that was uh, Michigan state a couple years back with Mark D'Antonio and it backfired. So, uh, so staff wise, it's, it's questionable or at least transitioning. Um, and then uh, player wise. Yeah. So quarterbacks open. Uh, they have a five-star coming in, J.J. McCarthy, but I don't think he'll be ready for the Open. It'll, it'll probably be Cade McNamara again, who was okay. Uh, yeah, they recruit well. It just hasn't really converted. Um, last year was a terrible performance on both sides of the ball. Uh, my game grader had them near the bottom of the all-power five. Had them 11th out of 14 in the Big Ten. So I don't see what would change drastically overnight. In fact, it looks like a transition with the coaching and the scheme. So. Um, and, and you get them early in the season too, which is huge. If, uh, I'm, they might look a lot different by the time November rolls around, but right out of the gates in week two, I, you know, I think Washington's going to handle them. Well, I, uh, I love to hear that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, we'll have to end on that note, but, uh, before we hang up here one more time, tell our listeners how they can go buy your preview. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, always love talking pack 12. I'm one of the rare guys in Pennsylvania that stays up till 2 a.m. watching Pac-12 Network each Saturday. I love it. But, um, yeah, so pick6previews.com. And on there, there's a couple sample teams you can check out and see the level of detail I provide and the set of infographics I have for each team. Pick6previews.com and, and give us a follow at Pick6previews on Twitter.
Alrighty, well, I'll be sure to tweet this out as soon as I get this posted. Brett, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it, and uh, maybe we can catch up later in the season. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, good luck, guys.